The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. Great to have you here this Saturday morning as we have a frank and honest and open conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. Joining us as always from the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, better known to you as 800 Gambler, is our friend Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing really well and really nice and uh, thrilled to have uh, Spike B on the show today. Spike is also a compulsive gambler, and she's kind enough to share her story with us. Spike, good morning. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. So how long have you been uh, in recovery, and uh, how's it going? So, uh, well, I'll start out this way, the way I do in a meeting. My name is Spike B. I am definitely a compulsive gambler. Um, I have three years and a couple months now uh, free of gambling, which I am very, very grateful for every day. Yeah. Uh, because my life was crap, quite frankly. Well, all right. So let's let's get into it. Um, how did gambling start for you? Innocently? Uh, was there friends doing it, family doing it? Do you remember the beginning stages of you getting involved with gambling? Yeah, if, if we really go back to it, I think uh, I was probably in church the first time I gambled uh, as a little kid at, you know, the, the church fairs and the games that you would play. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was like, hey, I can win things. This is great. And whether it was stuffed animals or money, it was still exciting. <laughs> you know, sure. So it was uh, it started very young. I was probably five or six Okay. Um, when I figured that out. And, it, you know, it, it progressed. I uh, didn't get real bad until uh late teens i would say um when it started with atlantic city trips and you know poker games and card games and you know all that fun sure so is there a moment when you look back on your life with clarity now where you recognize the beginning stages of boy i like gambling more than all my friends do or hey i think about gambling a lot more than everyone else does that type of stuff you know i i have to be honest i don't I think during the whole time, I thought that it was normal to to be the way that I was uh, until right before I came into the GA program and realized that this is not normal. Um, and that moment for me, I you know I have a small business and I had my bank card in my hand and not quite enough to make the payroll in the bank. And I went to put the card into the ATM machine. And I, I wanted to stop, and I knew in my head I should stop, but I physically could not stop my hand from putting the ATM card into the machine and taking out everything else that I had. Um, and that that moment for me was complete clarity. I do not have control of my own body to stop myself from gambling away the rest of my money. Did you say it in the moment, did you actually gamble that money, or did you take the money out and not gamble it? Oh, no, I took it out, and it was all gone very quickly. <laughs> so, so, so it was really after you lost it that you then said or looked in the mirror and said, "Hey, uh, Spike, what are you doing here?" That type of thing. No, I think I think when I took the money out, I thought, "Well, if I win enough to make the payroll, then I'm okay." <laughs> right. And if if the gambling gods don't grace me, then I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and I think at that particular moment, I was, I knew I, I was like, I have no control over myself, and I don't have many options. And at the moment that I lost the last of that money, um, I, I realized I had two options. I could commit suicide or I could go to Gamblers Anonymous. 
Well, and, and it was that cut and dry for you. Yes, it was either kill myself or go to a meeting and, and, and beg someone to help me and do whatever they tell me will help. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So as you go back, how often would you gamble? Was it a, a daily occurrence for you? Was it, hey, I'd go once a week, but I'd spend 12 hours straight at the uh, tables or slots? And what was your game of choice? Uh, so I started out with uh, craps and poker. Uh, I then would get bored thinking that the craps table was cold and I would start <laughs> going to slot machines to break up the time and wait for the table to get hot again. And then I, you know, hit a couple of big wins. And when that happened, it just gave, I, I mean, I kind of remember that moment of turning where it, it became an, an illness. I hit a five figure win and thought to myself, well, this is, this is so easy. Like, why would I go to work? Right. <laughs> I, could just, I can just win money. Was there ever um, a point where it went from you enjoyed a win to you didn't enjoy even the wins? Uh, yeah, I think probably that was in my mid to late thirties. Uh, and I remember hitting a win and thinking, well, that's great, but I, I need to hit a bigger one. And, and I mean, it was a pretty substantial win. Like people were coming up, congratulations. That's great. Right. And I, I was thinking in my head, that's not enough. Like, that's, that's only half of what I lost. <laughs> sure. Hey, Dan, is that, as, as we talk to Dan Trelaro here, you know, you know, I asked that question on purpose because I experienced it. You know, it got to a point for me where the wins no longer gave me any joy and the losses didn't bother me enough to stop. And I, I'm, I'm guessing, and out of, through all the people we've talked to over this year, that that is a, a commonality amongst us, Yeah. Yeah, for people experiencing the problems. I mean, it's it's so for someone who's never experienced gambling problem, when they say the wins don't mean as much, that they they can't wrap their head around it. That's in a way that's how they know they don't have a problem with gambling because we process it differently. That's, that's always what I go back to what Dr. Timothy Fong said months ago. You know, we process it differently. The wins, we're almost bitter when we win. You know, I remember having the same thought like, well, it's about time. I wish I would have won this uh, two month two months ago or two weeks ago. You know, you almost get angry because there's a part of you that also now knows you have to stay longer and you're going to be now committing more time because now that I've won, I've got more money to gamble with and it becomes so stressful. You know, gambling, when you win, now you have this money that there's almost this sinking feeling that you're going to lose it anyway and it's just prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, and no, I hear you on that. Yeah, when you win, for me, it enabled me to just keep gambling. So that was the only, if, if there was joy, it was the fact that the more money I won, the longer I could actually gamble. Spike, for you, yeah, how that, about... There was, was a sense of, of, of relief, I think, in losing and, and yes. knowing that, that it was over. And, you know, they say, a lot of my, a lot of my fellows in, in GA say, when you run out of bullets... <laughs> You're just grateful to be done, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting concept, relief in losing, which obviously yeah. is counterintuitive to everyone else listening to the show right now. Why would losing bring you any sense of relief other than it stopped the merry-go-round, right? Yeah. What about relationships? Did you have people in your life that noticed you were changing or you were different or... You know, you were lying or hiding things or weren't the same spike that they, had, you know, knew? I mean, my family and friends recognized when it got pretty bad. I mean, it was it was everyday gambling for about four or five years. I mean, literally like six days a week, sometimes seven days a week to the point where I would leave work and go there and then, you know, not even sleep, go right back to work the next day, you know, stay all night. Um, and they recognized that, you know, my word didn't mean anything anymore. Saying I was going to be somewhere didn't mean anything. If I was in the casino, I wasn't going. <laughs> if, right. if there was a family event, I was going, but I was leaving after 10 minutes and going to the casino. So 
it was, you know, to a point where I didn't have any control. I didn't have any life. Um, my business had, had suffered so badly. You know, my, my employees would make jokes that the employee ID card was a casino card because <laughs> I, would, I would take them to, you know, dinners at the casino using my, my free points, you know, which are right. not free uh, because I had no money left, you know, to, to take them out or celebrate or do anything with them. Wow. And, and again, and it was really that moment when you took the money out of the ATM, there wasn't like a, a huge loss before that or some other kind of uh, epiphany or pivotal moment. It was that moment right there. So, so I had, I had one about a year and a half before I came in the program, there was a, a significant jackpot and, you know, mid five figures. And I spent more than what the jackpot was to try to get it. And there was a person who walked up out of nowhere, put in, you know, whatever, $10 or something and hit that jackpot. And I stopped and I just looked at the person and thought to myself, like that person, like I wanted to kill them. (laughs) I was like, that person with that $10 just stole my $50,000. And I, and I, that's my money. I put my money in there. He just took all of my money and I wanted to kill the person. And I knew that that was not normal. And I knew that something was wrong with me, but it took another year and a half before I could really get help. We're going to continue with Spike and Dan in just a moment. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelaro with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, of course, as always. And uh, finishing up a story now with Spike B, a uh, compulsive gambler who is in the GA program and has now been, uh, quote-unquote, sober and without a gamble for just over three years, which is a, a great accomplishment and something that you should be very proud of. So when you finally decide, all right, I need help, I'm going to get help, did you go right to a GA meeting to get help? Did you call a loved one, a friend up and say, listen, I'm acknowledging I got a problem, I'm a compulsive gambler? What were the steps you took? So my, my spouse at the time, I guess about a couple months before I came in the program, had, had on a number of occasions come to me and said, you need help. Like, you're not okay and you need help. And I just ignored them. I was like, I'm not interested. I don't need your help. I just need to take a break. I don't need to stop. I need to take a break. <laughs> of course, I didn't take a break. Um, and I think when I realized that that ATM card had was completely out of my control, that my arm was not under my control, um, I, I didn't call up 1-800-GAMBLER. I didn't, I, I mean, I had seen the signs everywhere, sure. you know, on, on casinos and everything, but I never called. I went on the, on my phone. I looked it up on the gamblers and I put in gamblers anonymous. I, I knew about alcoholics anonymous. I thought there must be a gamblers anonymous. And I looked it up and found the nearest meeting to where I lived. I went to that meeting and on the way there, I thought, well, if this doesn't work out, I could always kill myself because there's no hope of fixing my life. My life is done. It's over. Um, I went to that meeting, and that at that meeting, someone made, I mean, listen, I'm not judging anyone, but someone made a mistake and said to me, you can never gamble again. And in my head, that would be like never breathing again. Right. And I could not accept the fact that I could never gamble again. So immediately after that meeting, I thought, well, my spouse thinks I'm at a meeting because I told him I was going. And I have this little coin and this little book saying, showing him that I went to a meeting. So I'm going to go to the casino now. <laughs> and I left the meeting and went to the casino. 
after I lost all the money at the casino on the way back, I thought to myself, well, I could commit suicide or I could try this again tomorrow and try another meeting. Maybe this meeting was not a good one. Hmm. Um, and I went to a second meeting the next day. Um, and, and walking in there, they read something from the step one, you know, the 12 steps. They read something from step one and said, the, I became willing and ready to listen as only the dying can be. And I thought to myself, well, I'm dying, so I, I have to be willing to listen. And I, I said, you know what? I am. I'm, I'm, I will do If they tell me to jump on one foot and rub my head, I will do that, <laughs> whatever it takes to stop this pain. Um, and I went to that meeting the next day, and someone said to me, you don't have to never gamble again. You just have to not gamble today. And that mm. changed my life. That simple you know, statement. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. And that's powerful because I, I, I share a similar story, Spike. I can relate to that because I went into my first room in northern New Jersey and I had someone come up to me who'd been in the program over 30 years and say, you know, you're starting a new life and you just can't gamble again. And one of the other members overheard that and afterwards pulled me aside and said, listen, don't worry about again. That's too long of a time frame. Just for the next hour, don't gamble and, and start it hour by hour, day by day. Because he could sense, I didn't like... We're, we're new in recovery. It's like uh, ground zero is just starting fresh. You can't tell me what I'm not going to do because we know human nature. If you tell me I can't do something, well, of course, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do it. And and it was so. It was more about having the desire to stop gambling more so than actually stopping the gambling. It was like this whole desire to no longer gamble, but it was on a daily basis and sometimes minute by minute hour by hour, because that's all I could manage at the time. Well, there's also an aspect, I think, for all of us where, you know, there's an ego involved with our gambling, and that ego takes over other parts of our lives where you don't want anybody to preach to you either, especially somebody you never met before, right? Yeah, I agree. The, the preaching will turn, a week, and we hear that a lot when people call our helpline at 800-GAMBLER. People will call and say, well, do you have another meeting I can attend? I, I went to one meeting, and I, I just didn't like the vibe, or I, I just didn't feel it was for me. I'll say, well, you know, sometimes you got to go you know, to three or four different meetings. You know, Spike just talked about you got to go to a different place where you feel comfortable, where you feel connected, where you feel like you're going to get that support, because that ego is alive. It's big. And, you know, Spike, you said you owned a business too. So to be a business owner is, you know, there's certain personality traits that, that lend themselves to developing a gambling problem, but also being a business owner, being successful, there's almost like a perfect storm that starts to develop. So Spike, I wonder three years later, do you miss gambling? You know, I don't. Um, I, and I don't, I don't even think about it. There was a certain sense of thinking that gambling would give me community and friends and people around me, but it was very empty and very lonely. And you, I don't think you, I realized that in that moment that it was, it was all fake, you know, and, and being in the program and having real friends and people who actually talk to you, people who ask you, what did you do yesterday? And they actually care what you did. yesterday. Sure. They listen to your answer and they remember your answer. Having friends who are, you know, who are there for you, who are responsible, who are reliable you know, there's there's a whole different sense of community, and I think that that unity in the program is one of the things that makes it work. Because without without that, and without you know, they they did an experiment you know many years ago called you know, they called it Rat Park. That was their their nickname, and they showed that rats, when put alone, would always choose you know drugs over sustenance and water, and rats in groups with given the option to have drugs would choose you know, friend, friendship over drugs. And it's, it's a very lonely disease addiction. And I feel like 
having that community in the program, having GA, having the people, making the phone calls, reaching out to people, having people that I trust changed my life, you know? Yeah, I agree. I I used to think they were fake. I was like, these people can't be like this. They actually care. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And then once you, you once you find the room you're comfortable in, and for me it took about four or five rooms, once you find that room, it does become a special place. There's no doubt about that. And you do build legitimate, tangible, you know, deep relationships. Um, you know, one of the things we do on this show, Spike, and I think it's important to do, you know, is not only talk about just the bad stuff because you've gotten through it. And there are a lot of people that are listening to this show now that either themselves or a loved one are where you were three plus years ago, you know, where I was three years ago, where Dan was 11 years ago. Step one. And it's very daunting for them. So could you share with them how great your life is now and how good things are for you now three years later that you're not gambling? Yeah, I think that, you know, the first time someone called me from the program and said, just wanted to check and see if you're okay. I had never, I didn't even remember which person it was from the room. And I thought to myself, someone cares about me. I don't know who they are. I don't know why they care about me, but they do. And what I learned is that the way that the program works is that someone will like you until you learn to like yourself. And it took me not, you know, three months or six months or a year even it took me, you know, more than a year maybe to learn to like myself. But as I learned to like myself, as I became okay with who I was, as I accepted who I was and recognized myself as a compulsive gambler, that's why I say every time I go in a meeting, I am definitely a compulsive gambler because I have to recognize who I am and accept who I am and my limitations and be okay with who I am. And as I did that, my whole life changed. Um, the people in my life started trusting me because they saw that not only was I being honest with myself, I was being honest with them. Right. You know, I, I could be honest with people again. My business got better. Everything improved. As soon as I stopped gambling and stopped losing money, all of the money that I was making was much more evident. I realized that my business was successful. I was just destroying it. <laughs> right. It had nothing to do with my poor business running skills. It had to do with my gambling. Um, you know, my, my friendships got closer, my relationships got closer, my family started trusting me again. You know, there was a point where my parents were ready to disown me, write me out of the will and, you know, not talk to me anymore. Um, I had borrowed too much money. I had asked for too much. And, you know, over the last year, my relationship with my family has changed immensely. It's gotten closer. Family members that I always fought with, I'm, I'm learning to be patient with. I'm accepting that I can't change other people and that they are who they are and I am who I am and I can love them either way. There are so many things that have changed and, and most of what's changed is just my perception of the world, which was so different before. And I think that, you know, life hasn't actually changed that much with the exception of stopping the gambling and not having complete financial devastation anymore. Everything else is very similar to the way that it was. But my perception of my life and my attitude and my feelings are completely changed. And, and a lot of things, you know, have changed on a deeper level than just, you know, I mean, like I listen in three years, I've I've paid off my debt, which was extensive and, and you know, six figures and horrendous. Um, I'm buying a home. I, you know have managed to get my dog to live to 14 years old, who, who was sick for, you know, many years. And I'm finally, you know, taking care of him, taking care of myself. I lost 55 pounds. Wow. 
um, which oh. is insane because I'm five foot four. I mean, you know, my, my health has improved. My life has improved. My business has improved. My relationships have improved. Uh, there's really not an area of my life that's gotten worse since I stopped gambling. Well, good um, for you. Good for yeah. you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. All right. Her name is Spike B, and uh, she is a compulsive gambler, but life is good, and it can be good for you again as well. You just got to take that very first step. But I've always said, and Dan, I think you're with me, and Spike, you could hang on for this part as well. You know, it, it, it starts, for me at least, and I don't want to be preachy about it, but it starts with being honest. Once you honestly can admit to yourself and then to your closest friends and loved ones that you got a problem, everything starts getting better from that moment. And I assume, Dan, you would say the same thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, I always talk about, you know, one of the, the traits of someone with, struggling with any addiction is the lying. And, and people just assume, oh, well, you're lying to other people. But it's, it's the lies you tell yourself. It's those lies that you lead yourself to believe. And you're right. As soon as the honesty starts uh, coming out and that vulnerability everything else starts falling into place like a jigsaw puzzle. The pieces just start connecting, and I think, Spike, you just kind of highlighted that beautifully. And there's one other aspect to this I think is important because Spike referenced it a couple times, uh, the tangible conscious decision of do I want to wake up tomorrow? Is, is life worth living? And if you know, and you consider that it may not have been worth living, you know, the suicide rate for gambling addicts is higher than any other addiction. And there's a lot of reasons for that that Dan can walk us through. But if you're in that spot where you you're questioning whether or not to wake up tomorrow, you got to pick up the phone and call somebody. It doesn't matter who it is, but there's somebody on the other end of the phone that'll walk you through why tomorrow is worth waking up for. And Dan, I hope you could expand upon that real quick. Yeah, you know, we we know that suicide is a big component of people who are struggling with gambling addiction. And, you know, you can reach out for help, and, and, and people always need to know. There, there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. That's available 24 hours a day, multiple languages. But help is always available. You know, in, in the world of gambling, we think that there's, there's nothing else worth living for at times. And you start to have those suicidal ideations and thoughts. But the best thing to do at that moment, and Craig, you know, you've talked about it, Spike talked about it as well a bit, you know, pick up the phone and call someone you trust, someone that loves you for you, someone that you'll just talk to in a moment, and they, they're they not going to judge you. You just have to just, you know, you don't know where to find it. You don't know where to find that strength, but there's just something inside of you, that pilot light that stays lit, that just makes you pick up the phone because help is available. And doing a show like this week after week shows that things do get better. You know, once the gambling is brought under control and maybe stopped, things, other areas of your life can improve. There is hope. There is help and people that care out there, whether it's 800 Gambler or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Well said. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, again, 800 gamblers, the number. If you uh, have a gambling problem or you think you have a loved one that does, and Dan's staff uh, mans that 24-7, that's totally anonymous, so no worries about that. And if you uh, want to check out a GA uh, room, uh, you can do it uh, Spike. That You can Google it for sure and find a room near you. Spike and Dan, thank you, guys. Appreciate it so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekends. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. That'll do it for Hello, My Name is Craig. I'm Craig Carton. Evan Roberts, I believe, is next or not. Yeah, I think Evan's next. And then Evan and I will be back Monday at 2 o'clock right here on The Fan. Enjoy your weekend.